Stand up for yourself And I'll back you up Cause problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what Instead of would or could I think you should Draw a line in the sand and stand your ground It's for your own good Often when we're changing uh, our environment, there's so many different things that are taking place that we're, and we're moving so fast into reestablishing ourselves, uh, we forget to monitor things like health, uh, mental health, physical health, stress, um, and, and how all of this plays in, in our ability to be in the moment and properly make decisions and reflect our communication correctly and what our attitudes are towards something to make sure that we're in check with that. And in today's episode, uh, we will take a closer look at health. I want to welcome you to the Voice of Families in Addiction and our next episode of Health Chapter 6 from this manual, Reentry Curriculum, Merging the Two Worlds, which you can download on our website, familiesimpactedbyopioids.com. And with that in mind, You'll have this uh, manual in front of you, and I'll describe to you which page we're on, and you can follow along. In the exercises, as we start to open up the topic, uh, you're, you're in a very like challenging part of your life when you're involved in reentry. Uh, it's temporary, and the mistakes you make will often just be learning lessons or bumps. They rarely will be like, Unless, of course, you make a major mistake and now you have a recidivism uh, back into the correctional facility. Uh, but forego that. You'll, you'll be moving your life forward in blocks of experiences and time. And each one, hopefully, will develop a, a workable skill set for you that creates a foundation as you move, move forward. You'll look back at where there were not stepping stones across this meadowland that you're crossing... Um, you'll look back and you'll see that you actually created stepping stones for yourself. So you'll always have an idea as to where you were before. You may not feel that comfortable with taking the step forward because that, that like little piece of granite rock isn't there to support you. Um, that's why we're doing this information. That's why we're taking time to do this. It creates that stepping stone for you to land your foot on so that you have firm ground at least as much as it can be reasonably expected. And the families can help you in that same regard as part of the journey. So let's talk a little bit about physical wellness and kind of an assessment. So how are you doing? You know, somebody would sit there and say, hey, Roy, how are you doing? I'd say, oh, I'm doing great. Oh, really? And then they'd sit there and they'd go through this assessment. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Well, let's look at this on page 159. So, Roy, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Really? Do you maintain your weight? At a desirable rate? Well, uh, my answer might be uh, sometimes, most of the time, well, not always, but rarely. And then they, then they ask, uh, do you engage in vigorous exercises such as brisk walking? <laughs> well, I repeat back, well, sometimes, most of the time, not always. And these are numeric-weighted uh, uh, answers. And uh, I do exercise. Do you do exercises designed to strengthen your muscles and joints? Uh, sometimes they do you warm up and cool down by stretching before and after your vigorous exercise? 
Do you feel good about my, the condition of your body? Do you get seven to eight hours sleep each night? Is your immune system strong? And are you able to uh, avoid most infectious diseases, Roy? Uh, my body heals itself, and I quickly, when I get sick or injured, thank you for asking. This is getting a little obnoxious. Well, yeah, but this is an assessment. It's a self-assessment, and I'm talking in kind of a kidding way. But when you read this, you should be answering these questions, you know, with, with true prudence. Um, and then, you know, do I listen to my body? When, when there's something wrong, do I seek professional advice? Hey, I'll tell you what, that's the number one. They should move this 10 to number one if this was a scale. If you're coming out and you're, you're coming out from incarceration, you need to darn well listen to your body as you go through this because that's the only warning system you're going to get. Nobody's going to help you do this. And when there's something wrong, you man up, women up, you know, get in and see a professional. Don't, don't wait, because it's very likely that your immune system is susceptible to any kind of like bug or virus or what's going around, because you are stressed out. I doubt many people get out of incarceration and they're not stressed. Well, we know that while you were in incarceration, you were incredibly stressed. So it's just now it's different, but it's still stress and it wears on your immune system. So you should make smart choices. On page 160, here are, you know, like 12 really good ideas. I'll let you read them. But it's things like, you know, for crying out loud, drink water, like all the time. It's okay if you got to go to the bathroom. Just drink a lot of water. Uh, cut down on sugar drinks. You should not be doing Mountain Dew all morning and afternoon. You are really kidding yourself. No, let me correct this. Let me be like really rude. And I don't mean to be in your face. You're a fool if you're drinking Mountain Dew morning and afternoon. That stuff is dangerous for your, for your entire system. So cut down on it if you're currently doing it. Change it out for water. Um, I, I, I would tend to avoid sugary water drinks, flavored water drinks. You know, just club soda is great in terms of, you know, having that effervescence, you know, affect the bubbling waters and all. So wash your hands regularly. You know, you might sit there and think, ah, oh, that's for fairies. No, wash your hands. You know, you, you, what, what, you, what you put on your hands, you put on your food, you put on your mouth, uh, you rub your eyes, um, it gets into your body, and that's, that's how most, like, flu and everything is transmitted. So play it smart. Wash your hands. Take a multivitamin. Absolutely. No question about it. So let's go to uh, what creates kind of like stress. You know, let's matter of fact, let's do a stress inventory, you know. And, and, in, and in doing a stress inventory, we're going to sit there and say, on page 161, uh, divorce, death of a spouse, marital separation, death of a close family member. So if you've had these things within the past 12 months, you're, you're under stress. Your marriage could be stressful. Um, reconciliation could be stressful. These, these take social readjustments, and it makes us susceptible to illnesses. Pregnancy, gaining a new family member, the birth of a child. This is stressful. Job changes. Changing your financial status, good or bad. 
you know, you sit there and say, well, Roy, it's not very stressful if I change my, if things are getting better, I'm earning more. Actually, it is, because now you've got even more, you know, desire and you're changing your life so that you can continue to maintain this new level of income. That, that, that challenge may be stressful. So, you know, with more money does not necessarily flow all good things. I, I will say that. For some people, it's, 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 a, it's a disaster. I've seen that. Um, so what you do is you, you tally up this, and it's called an assessment key, the scoring key, and uh, from 0 to 149 in your numeric uh, you know, statements for each of the 30 questions in this particular stress. It tells you, are you mild, moderate, or, or like severe stress? So this is a, this is a good thing to have because we're, we're going through life, we get out of, of incarceration, we're dealing with all these people, we're trying to reestablish, we're so worried about how they feel about us. This is incredibly stressful. And I hope that the family members understand from their perspective in supporting you, how much stress are they experiencing in supporting you? Because that in itself is an environment of stress also. Stress is the body's response to a condition or situation. It's that simple. It's physical, it's emotional, it's a response, it's stress. You know, this could look like, uh, in terms of physical headaches, like you're not getting good sleep, you've got stomach problems. Hey, do get a blood pressure monitor now that you're getting a little older, and, um, and take your blood pressure, know what, know what it is. Uh, heart disease, the list goes on. Some doctors estimate that 85% to 90% of illnesses, 85 to 90% of illnesses are the result of stress. So doesn't it make sense that we should have a conversation about you coming back out of, you know, and re-entry and stress? This is very, very real, and we want you to take it very, very seriously. Because there are things that you can do to create stress, and typically it's like, oh boy, are we going to get into this? Yes, have a, have a really good plate of food every day with the right color codes. You know, you've got your oranges, you've got your greens, and you've got your protein. You know, it's like a plate that's divided by thirds, and, and, and in each section of the plate are one of these color things. So that, that sounds really corny and, and childlike, but it, it's very true in terms of good nutrition habits. Um, you know, watch what you eat. Eat, what, eat what's good for you, okay? You should be asking yourself, is this good for me, you know? Uh, and I'm telling you, going to Popeye's chicken is not good for you, okay? That doesn't mean you should never go to it. It means you should be careful how much you go to Ordering pizza, not good for you. Having broccoli with butter in the microwave is pretty simple. Put it on the plate when, you, when it is time that you actually, you know, barbecued out some chicken or, you know, made yourself a steak or whatever. Include a green to the nutrition value of the plate. Include a color like orange or yellow. The deeper the color, the more nutritious it is. So keep that in mind, too. So ways to reduce stress. Hmm. Take a mind vacation. Close your eyes and picture yourself in a favorite place. I would do this. It's called mindfulness. Consider a blue sky. Deep breathing. Okay, I'm going to show you how to deep breathe because I do this in my mental health coaching, too. Um, I want you to... Now, don't do this while you're driving. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to inhale with a count of 1,000, 2,000, 
3,000, 4,000. So it's going to look like and and expand your belly, not your chest, as you breathe. So your belly should come out. That's where your breathing comes in. There's a reason that we're saying this. So now your lungs are filled with air. What's happening? Your blood is coming through the alveola of your lung sacs, and it's allowing it to pick up that oxygen into the blood cell. And then it's going to continue on down to pick up some nutrition. And then it's going to deliver that to the mind and the organs and the blood and the muscles and every part of your body. So this is the portion of your body that collects oxygen, which all the other parts of your body need. So by holding it there for a little bit longer, it gives your blood cells a chance to pick up more. Think of it like a stop on a subway station and you're loading on people onto your subway car and then you move on. The fact is, by holding it for a count of four, four counts of 1,000, 1,001, 1,002, 3, 1,004, 1,005, and then holding it for a count of three and then exhaling it on a count of six. Well, now, Roy, why would we exhale on a count longer than we inhaled? Because you want to get out of your lungs most of what is now remaining, which is called carbon dioxide. That, that's spent air, meaning it's got no real value. And by getting it out in your exhale, you're making your lungs available for the next inhale. So here's what it looks like. I'm going to inhale through my nose for a count of four. 1,001, 1,002. I'm going to say this in my mind. And then I'm going to hold it for a count of three. And then I'm going to exhale it for a count of six. And when I exhale it, I'm going to pierce my lips as though I was whistling. So I don't know. It kind of looks corny. I don't think you want to do this when you're on the bus on your way to work. But here's how it would look. You do that 10 times and your whole proposition to yourself starts to change. I wouldn't do it like for 25 times, but do it for 10 times. And you're going to find, you're, you're, you're going to come out of that experience. Now you add that to a delightful memory or picture in your mind of whatever it is that pleases you. While you're doing that kind of inhaling, it's called mindfulness. You will, you will really start to change your stress. I've just given you an extremely valuable tool to use to change your stress. I hope you use it. Ask a coach, uh, a mental health coach, or a uh, counselor to help you with that. Call it mindfulness. And um, these are the ways that we can help ourselves in terms of stress. So we're on page 167 now. And we're looking at mental health assessment. Oh boy, here we go. Um, I'll tell you what, when you start to get into mental health, there's a manual that's, you know, yo thick. And uh, it, it's called the DSM-5. And it has all the conditions, all the diagnoses, and what, what the clinician would be observing in order to give that, you know, diagnosis uh, credibility as to your current situation or condition. Uh, from that follows a staging of mild, moderate, to severe. And then from that follows a plan of care, an algorithm. 
that's already decided as best practices. If we do this, we should find success. So, you know, in mental health, there's a lot of ways that people can help you, and typically it's through assessments. Have you ever taken an assessment for mental health? Well, how old are you? If you're over 27, you probably should, <laughs> just as a tune-up. But uh, don't be intimidated by assessments. They're very helpful. Um, so in this assessment, and you know, we're looking at 10 questions, um, we're, we're going through, uh, I, I tend to act impulsively. I learn my, from my mistakes. I follow directions. I consider alternatives. I'm alert. I tend to uh, let my emotions get the better of me. Uh, I actively try to learn all I can. Da 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 da. And then it's continued on the next page, all the way up to 20. And then you, you, you total, because they're rarely, sometimes, most time, always uh, one, two, three, and four. Um, and you'll notice that these um, scales on like number 15, four is the I, I rarely. So it's that one, which you find on 11, one is the Aureli. See, they've weighted these different categories so that you can then go to page 308, which is where you'll find the score to see where are you mentally in your health. This is very valuable to you. Have you ever done this before? <laughs> Slow down, take the time, do this. This is really good stuff for us to take time and have a better understanding as to um, now. Be sure to go to 308 uh, in your in your, your printed out uh, copy, or if you're keeping it on the computer as an electronic file, that's fine. Just go over to 308 and and take a look at, at how they're using this uh, you know content uh, in terms of scoring. So in exercise number uh, oddly enough 87, <laughs> that's how many exercises we've done so far. Um, we're on page 169. Uh, the question is, you know, are you eating healthy? You know, so put today's world that most people find they cannot avoid as stressors. And let's, let's, let's kind of like do an assessment on, you know, in today's world, you know, did I get seven to eight hours of sleep? Did I give regular uh, and receive affection regularly? Okay. And, and then on page 170, we're looking at tips for maintaining your health. You know, I don't know. It just seems like when I've had this, I mean, I'm 65, so I've, I've been through a lot of different assessments in life, uh, some voluntarily, some not. But um, when, when, I, when I see these repetitive, oh, eat healthy, oh, think good thoughts, oh, you know, go for a walk, you know, I don't pay attention to them. And um, I don't do them. And guess what? I'm, I'm less for it. I am honestly, I, I have to say, with a mature mind, of which I don't believe I have, but growing and trying. But with a mature mind, I, I tend to sit there and think, well, I'll, I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. And I, I think of all the reasons, no. And yet, at the same time, I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know darn well, Roy, if you did those things, you'd really be much better off. And I sit back and I think, who the heck am I kidding in this thing called life? Am I really being told that if I do these things, I'm going to be better off? <laughs> for some stupid reason of my own, I don't do them? I was just given 
like the keys to the car. And I'm sitting by the steering wheel going, huh, wonder how this car gets started. Well, they gave me the keys, put it in the ignition and turn it on and give it some gas. Uh, no, I'm just going to sit by the steering wheel and wonder why this car isn't moving. So with that in mind, that, that's where mental health is. And we do know what you should do. I bet you deep down inside, you already know what you should do. These things will help you to do them. Kind of this is the how-to framework. But the fact is, you've got to come to the table with an attitude of, you want to. Ms. Mr. Reentry, you've got to come to the table of mental health with the attitude that you want to. Okay? So, with that in mind, that's no different than risk factors for substance use disorders. You, and I'm on page 172, you have to come to the table, Ms. or Mr. Reentry, with the attitude that you are going to be very cognizant, very aware, very proactive with when you are experiencing risk factors for substance use disorders. Families can be part of those. Peers can be part of those. Learn how. Learn why. If you went through an IPO, uh, if, if you went through residential, if you went through you know, any kind of like AA, you, or NA, you should know that triggers matter and that they come in all kinds of shapes and forms and they come from all parts of life at you. And they're not trying to do it to you. They just are there. They're like, I don't know if you've ever been out in the desert they get this tangleweed and, 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 and it's got barb-like burrs on them. And uh, boy, if you step in those things, it's a real mess. That's what, that's what a trigger is. So and it hurts you. And you need to understand, you know. And, and you know, you need to be aware that you, you, you may be like, oh, well, I, I'm not going to take opioids anymore. But I'm going to smoke a lot. I'm going to drink a lot of Mountain Dew. I'm not going to take care of myself, you know, in other ways. I'm not going to drink water. I'm not going to think good thoughts. And I'm not going to do all these other things. But I'm not taking opioids. Well, <laughs> You know, you're not exactly considering the whole picture here. And that's why you're getting smart by taking these episodes, by, by going through this manual, by taking this learning seriously and making it, you own this stuff, okay? You came to the table. You wouldn't be listening to these episodes if you were of the thought, I don't want to improve myself. You are here for a reason. It may very well be that God has led you here because this is part of his plan to build, and he's got something else that'll add to this and add to this and add to this. But your journey's not over, and you want to do it better, and the only way you can do it better is if you know the risk factors, the triggers for you that exist in where you are working and going. So potential risk factors. Remember, in our seminar, uh, Fentanyl and Families in Harm's Way, the 32 learning series for uh, families, uh, the Family Solution Finder Learning Series, which is on our website, which is on a TV production, and uh, now it's partially included in giving conversation with these episodes, uh, The Voice of Families in Addiction. So what are my danger signs and warning signs? Boy, I'll tell you what, if you don't know this, you are a deer in the headlamp of a truck about to hit you. When I recognize these danger signs, 
what do I do differently? What will I do if the significant people in my life start questioning me about my use? What excuses have I used to justify using in the past? And what can I do to avoid falling back if old habits are the way I am thinking? You need to be answering these questions. Page 176, 177, it talks about your coping skills. What situations produce the most anger in me? Okay, yeah, okay, game on. Be aware of that, you know? You should be able to answer that off the top of your head. Your frontal cortex, your executive thinking should be able to provide that for you. Uh, the feeling I have when, a when I'm having a difficult time with things, how does it make me feel? You should know what your coping skills are. By the way, in our learning seminars, in each of the seminars, we include determine a solution, develop a decision, and design a plan of action. The three D coping skills. Determine a solution, D, develop a decision, D, design a plan of action, D. Use those when dealing with life. You are constantly in the posture. You're like a computer chip. And you're constantly running new information through, and you have to adjust yourself to the new information, and you're going to figure out what's this situation with this new information that I'm making an adjustment for, how am I going to respond to it, and what's my plan. So those are very strong coping skills. So now, how do you make amends? Well, we're just assuming that you're going to have to make amends. Yeah, um, honestly, for all of us, we, we make amends. Well, the skills that you used while you're incarcerated to make amends are more than likely going to be different, should be different, and you need to give a, uh, an adjustment. See, you're adjusting yourself not to the new you, but to the you as who you are. You're going to include all the crap and stuff and good stuff that happened while you're in prison, and you're going to say, this is a part of me. Those were all things that happened. They, 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 they now are... You know, they're part of my memory bank. They're, they're part of who I am. But it's not a new you. It's a, this is the you that you are. Understand that person. Love that person. Embrace that person. And help to nurture that person by constantly growing with new information and owning that new information when it's good and healthy and incorporating it, creating new habits, creating new ways of thinking. And those will create emotions that then drive your behavior. Remember? <laughs> we talked about that in the other episode. So with that in mind, support groups. Uh, take a personal inventory of yourself before you jump into a support group. And, and know what you're doing with your leisure time. I'm on page 180. And then completely, the, these are all practical exercises that, you know, I'm mentioning these. But you'll see that on page, these pages. Uh, 181, personal relationships. Let's take care of that. Um, and, then, and then family relationships. Let's inventory and take care of that. And then living with financial arrangements, okay? We already talked about financial in the other episode. Let's, let's have an understanding of that. Now I'm at 185, and, you know, we're, we're kind of saying, okay, now you're at a level where you could write goals. And now you're at a level where you could write, remember what we said? When you leave the line of departure, the infantry, the armor, everybody has a game plan. And then it changes with new information. The enemy moved. The bridge is blown up. You know, there's all kinds of new information. The same is true in your life. 
The fact is, plan for the fact that things have changed. Now what are you going to do? You can plan for things changing in advance. So, you know, when you talk about all of this, what's the one thing, and you're talking about health, what's the one thing that can go wrong? If you don't have access to health care providers, that's a major, major, okay? No one can afford to not have access to health care providers at all the different levels. For you, it's addiction and recovery services. For you, it may be dual diagnosis with mental health. For you, it may be comorbidities of medical. And what do I mean by that is, well, you know, at one time before you went to IOP, you were actively taking uh, opioids or heroin or fentanyl and, or, or, or methamphetamine or alcohol, cocaine, uh, spice, all, all, you know, the synthetics. Um, now now you're, uh, you're in an area where you're moving forward and you're saying, um, I, I need medical because of what I was doing. That's a comorbidity. I have pulmonary glass uh, condition where my lungs are, are brittle um, from smoking all, this, all these drugs. Um, I have a cardiac valve. Um, I have a liver that's starting to fail. Well, you know, you need, you need to be aware of those things because they're going to play on your ability and strength to be able to mentally uh, respond to, oh, to heck with it, maybe I should just take drugs. Well, yeah, I think that your, 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 your underperforming liver and heart and lungs might have had something to do with the fact that you feel that way and you couldn't fend off those triggers. Does that make sense? Because uh, really, when you look at your profile, it's all about, you know, do you have a diagnosis for your addiction? And although you may be in recovery, do you have a treatment plan? Well, no, I'm in recovery. I mean, I've been in recovery for three years. I don't need one. Oh, yes, you do. You do if you're in diabetes. You, you, you do if you're in asthma. These are chronic conditions. You do if you're COPD, CHF. Uh, all of these are chronic conditions. And lifelong, you manage yourself around them. You have a plan of care. You know what? For this industry, you probably don't. Sorry. You know? I think it's a failure in the industry. Shame on them for leaving you without a plan of treatment. And the thought is, well, Roy... We as an industry are involved with services, so why would we write them a plan of treatment? Oh, would you please give me a break? Because you never thought through, as an industry, the fact that you need to carry this person at least for five years, where at five years of abstinence and sobriety, they drop to less than 15% likelihood of relapse. So we should have periodic check-ins. We should have periodic labs done. We should understand that there may be other parts of diagnoses in medical and mental that affect our addiction going from mild to severe, okay? So the, the, the fact is, because we don't, hey, family, maybe you can help out here. But person, you know, reentry uh, mister, reentry missus, you know, then you need to take that on yourself. And you need to understand there are three parts to your profile when it comes to health care. And all of them involve insurance. Do. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we just got out of prison and they kind of took care of us from a health care standpoint, but not really well. Yeah, you probably didn't get the best of care. You might want to do, you know, you get out of prison, 
go get a medical, go get a mental health, go get a drug assessment, have somebody do the assessment tools on you, a mast, a DAS, you know, an ACES, you know, all the different tools that are used, get those done and have an understanding of where you are with those three categories, addiction, mental health, and medical. And by the way, you may need to sign up for Medicaid in order to do that. There's going to be, uh, well, there's, there's the Obamacare, or I forget what they're calling it now, but the National Health Plan. And um, there's also private-run uh, companies that are contracted by the state to run the Medicaid program. So it's called a Medicaid HMO. Uh, go through the benefits. Some are different than others in the same state. Um, and, and choose the one that's best oriented towards somebody with your conditions. And then go see a doctor, understand what your benefits pay for, stay in network, and then you know, be a team member with your, with your primary care. Let them know you want to proactively do the right things. And that if that means writing out a plan of what you need to do, even if they're not going to participate in it, you write the plan and give it to them and say, can you make any suggestions? You do that with your doctor, he's going to take better care of you because he sees that you are actively desiring to take good care of yourself. So they have on page 191 the um, insurance questions that you'll want to ask. These are all very good questions, and you should consider those uh, before deciding on what type of insurance you're going to carry for your health, your mental health, and, and, and your addiction, uh, which is kind of typically parked in the behavioral health part of your benefits. I hope you find that this information is helpful. My name again is Roy Poyan. I'm a chemical dependency counselor assistant and a mental, certified mental health coach. I'm also the director of families impacted by opioids. We have a 32 episode TV series titled Fentanyl and Families in Arms Way that takes you through the entire course of a family dealing with addictions inside your family system. And you can find these online you can contact us at 440-385-7605. Go to our website, familiesimpactedbyopioids.com, or go to our YouTube channel, Fentanyl and Families in Harm's Way. I want to thank you for joining us today for our episode on the voice of the families in addiction. Stand up for yourself, and I'll back you up, cause problems don't solve themselves, I'll tell you what, instead of would or could, I think you should, draw a line in the sand and stand your ground, it's for your own good.